we know this, okay? And, and why are you telling us this? And uh, tonight's message is being preached simply because I think it needs to be preached, and I think our culture needs to hear this message. I think it's unfortunate that all of culture is not here tonight. Yeah, I really do. And uh, maybe, just maybe, uh, this will get to someone. Maybe this will be a help to someone. Uh, and, you know, it, it's very possible that it would be a help to someone in here this evening. I, I hope that it will be. But tonight I want to begin with a thought rather than reviewing. I just want to begin with a thought as soon as Jim gets his Tic Tacs out. You about done? All right, good, good, good. Thought you were trying to get all of them in your hand, not just a few. Okay. <laughs> all right. Tonight I want to begin with a statement that, again, you would know this to be true as well as I do. But many of the large problems that we deal with usually begin as smaller problems that either go undetected or ignored once they are detected. You understand what I'm saying? Big problems that you and I might deal with, big problems that you and I may have to deal with, they usually begin as a smaller problem, problem that we did not detect or we chose to ignore once we detected it. How many of us have ever had car problems? And somebody said, well, what was it doing? Well, yeah, it was making a noise, and yes, it started doing this, and yes, it started doing this, but I didn't think anything was really wrong with it. I didn't think it was anything major. It seemed to be running okay, and then somebody says, well, yeah, that was trying to tell you you were about to have the problems you're having right now. How many of us have ever experienced financial catastrophe? Most of us have in our own little world. It wouldn't be catastrophe according to the world's standard of things, but for us it was catastrophic by way of finances. And sometimes we look up in a moment like that and say, how did that happen? Well, come on. You really don't know how that happened? Let's go back and look. Let's go back and, and consider some things. And here was a little bit of a problem with your finances due to a lack of discipline. And, and here was a problem here that you didn't want to admit, or maybe you were spending too much here. So little issues began to grow until it created a big issue. And, and sometimes that happens in our health, does it not? We ignore these little things, and, and it's a little sign here. It's a little telltale warning here. And, 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 and we know those things are not right. We know those things are not what they're supposed to be but we ignore them only to find out that that has contributed to larger problems in our health. And, and on and on these illustrations could go, little problems that grow into large problems and we have to deal with them because either we didn't recognize them to be a problem originally or we chose to ignore them when the problem was right in front of us. Now tonight, Shifting gears just a little bit, I want us to think about the world that you and I live in because something we understand about the world around us today, and, and really we even contribute to this, you and I live in a very imperfect world. Would you admit tonight that you help contribute to the imperfections of this world? 
All right, so we live in an imperfect world. Everyone contributes to the imperfections of this world. And because it is all we have known by way of an imperfect world, that really is all that we can imagine and all that our minds can grasp and all that our minds can understand. You and I cannot imagine what it would be like to live in a perfect world. You and I are so used to the violence. You and I are so used to the, the disease. You and I are so sick to the stress, so used to the stress. You and I are so used to the immorality. You and I are used to so many different things in our society that many times it doesn't even get our attention anymore. It's just the world we live in and we don't recognize it. We don't see it. We don't really pay attention to it. But as imperfect as this world wants, or as, as imperfect as this world is, there was a time when the world was perfect. There was a time many, 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 many years ago. There was a time when there was no violence, when there was no jealousy, when there was no bitterness, when there was no immorality. There was a time in which the world was perfect. Can you imagine? We can't, really. How many of us have ever heard somebody say something like this, or maybe we've said it ourselves? Well, in a perfect world, this would be the case. In a perfect world, this would take place. In a perfect world, this would happen. Or in a perfect world, this would not happen. We sometimes, maybe, occasionally daydream what it would be like to live in a perfect world. And so tonight, for just a moment, I want us to think about one element of what it was like to live in a perfect world. If you and I could create a perfect world, if you and I could create a world that was free from every sin that we are currently aware of and exposed to today, if we could create a perfect world, what would it look like? Well, this evening, I want us to consider one aspect of a perfect world, one element of a perfect world. Notice in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man, that being a reference to Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Keep in mind tonight that it's not until Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, that the serpent shows up and casts doubt in the mind of Eve as to whether or not what God said was truly what God meant. In Genesis chapter 2, we still have a perfect world in place. We still have a perfect world in existence. And how long Adam and Eve enjoyed the perfect world before they messed it up with their sin, we don't know. But we do know for sure that in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, the world was absolutely perfect, free from flaw, free from sin, free from contamination. And what did God do to Adam? He put him in the Garden of Eden and told him to dress it and to keep it. What does it mean to dress and to keep the Garden of Eden? Well, it means to cultivate it. It means to maintain it. 
It means to work at it. To work at it. Here's a perfect world. No sin, no contamination, no flaws, nothing by way of impurities. An absolutely perfect world. And here is what God did to Adam. He placed him in the Garden of Eden for the purpose of dressing and keeping, cultivating and maintaining the garden that he lived in. Somebody says, I don't know exactly where you're going with this. Here's where I'm going with this. In a perfect world, you know what God expected man to do? Work. In a perfect world, you know what God expected man to do? To get up each day and accomplish something. In a perfect world, here is what God expected of man. To get up, to know that these responsibilities are mine. To get up in the morning and to know that these chores are things that I must do. In a perfect world, God said to Adam, Here is what I want from you and here is what I expect from you. To get up and to work and to be productive. You see, sometimes people think that work is the result of the curse. Some people truly believe that, that work is the, the result of the curse. And, and what they assume is this, is that, well, because Adam and Eve sinned, great, now we have to work by the sweat of our brow. No, no, no. Listen, Adam still had to work prior to the fall. It's just that after the fall, after the sin, the work became more difficult and the work became more laborious and the work became more tedious. But there was always, always, always the responsibility of Adam to be a worker. Now follow this, please. As a result of the fall, as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, we had sins like this then enter into the world. Rebellion. Because that was Adam and Eve's sin originally was that of rebellion and selfishness. We're not going to do what God told us to do. We will do what we want to do. But then there was jealousies between Cain and Abel. And then there was the sin of violence that took place between Cain and Abel when Cain took the life of Abel. And on and on the sins began to grow and the sins began to multiply and the sins began to, to affect everyone naturally because they were the seed of Adam. But notice this, please. As a result of the fall, it's not that work then came into existence. Work was always a part of man's existence. But you know what also entered into this world because of the fall? Laziness and an effort to avoid work. So I don't know about that. Well, let me ask you, is sin something, not sin, is laziness something that God is okay with? Well, obviously not. Sin is, I don't know why I keep saying sin. Just a blanket statement. God's not for sin, okay? We'll just get that out of the way. God doesn't like sin. But laziness, that which is sin, throughout the Scripture, we see and we understand that the lazy person or the sluggard or the slothful person they're, they're kind of frowned upon, are they not? And so throughout the Scripture, here's what we'll see and here's what we'll notice is that 
is that like in the book of Proverbs, the, the sluggard or the slothful man, he is reprimanded or he is rebuked or he is frowned upon his ways. And it said, listen, you don't want to be like the sluggard. You don't want to be like the lazy man. As you read through the scripture, you'll also discover this, that God never used a lazy man or a lazy woman. Amen. Never in the history of man has it been good or acceptable for a person to be lazy. Yet laziness has always been a part of culture and society since time began, since the fall of man, because Solomon addressed it, and we see it addressed in other portions of Scripture that we'll look at tonight, but it's never been the intention of God for you and I to sit around, do nothing, and be unproductive. It's just not the intent or the intention of God for us to sit around, do nothing, and accomplish nothing. I've said this before, so I'll say it again just to make sure that nobody leaves here upset, angry, or bothered. All of us have lazy days, do we not? All of us have lazy moments in our life, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when laziness becomes a lifestyle, there is a problem with that. When the typical routine consists of something like this, getting out of bed somewhere between 9 and 10 o'clock, trying to eat breakfast sometime around 10.30 or 11 o'clock, start the day hopefully getting dressed sometime afternoon, and then hopefully accomplishing something that afternoon, and, and then maybe retiring early for the evening because it's been such a stressful three or four hours. And I'm just wiped out. That was not God's intention for man. To see people so lazy that when you run into them at Walmart, it looks like they truly just rolled out of bed. That is not God's intention for man. God's intention for man and God's design for man was not that we would be busy about busy stuff to make ourselves feel like we're busy and productive. What God has designed for man from the beginning is that we would wake up, take advantage of the day that we have been given, and do something productive and profitable on that day. But we are living in a day. And we are living in a time where laziness has become more and more the accepted norm. Laziness has become more and more acceptable, and laziness is now less frowned upon than it once was. Now tonight, I'm going to mention a few things, and I don't say this because you don't know this. I say it tonight because I want to remind us of some things because of where the message is headed. But for me, I remember what it was like whenever I was a kid and I wanted something. My parents aren't rich. They've never been rich, never will be rich unless something really out of the ordinary takes place. My parents have just always been comfortable just comfortable. 
So I remember as a child, if I wanted something, there was usually some kind of an attachment to me getting it outside of gifts and special occasions. If you want something, son, you're going to have to work for it. I had a granddad who loved me very much, who would do anything for me, who supported me in anything that I did. But any time I wanted money from granddad, guess what I got to do? I got to work for it. If you want to make some money today, son, I'll let you do it. Here's what I need done. I need my yard mowed. If you'll mow my yard, I'll give you some money. I remember the day me and my brother crawled all under the house, pulling dirt out from under the house. Why my granddad cared, I don't know. But if he was going to give me money, we were going to work for it. My grandparents in Houston, when we would go visit them, they wanted to give us money. They wanted to put a little bit of cash in our pocket, and we always got the money from them right after we got done cleaning out the gutters. Work. I'm thankful that I had a dad and a mom who said, Son, if you want something, you're going to work for it. You're going to work for it. So whenever I turned 15 and I was wanting some cash, some spending money to go out with my friends, here's what they said. Well, son, you just sit back and relax and we'll just finance your entertainment and we'll just finance your way of life and we'll just finance your fun with your friends. That is not at all what they said. They said, we'll drive you to work and we'll pick you up when you get off work and when you turn 16, you can drive yourself to work. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I mean, hello, they would drop me off, I would work at a putt-putt place, the job was not real fun, the job was not great, but the job beat being broke. So what did you do? You worked 30 hours a week or as many hours as the boss would give you as a 15-year-old, you made three and a half dollars an hour, you cleared a hundred after taxes and you felt like a rich man. But it taught me something. Work. Now notice in our culture today that we live in, you know this as well as I do, if not better than me for some of you, but we live in a day today where our children are so pathetically lazy, they don't know how to work. Our children know how to work their thumbs fantastically. They can text 90 words a minute, but they can't start a lawnmower. Our kids can Google almost anything. The kids can YouTube almost anything. They can download almost anything you want them to, but ask them to go get the hammer. And you may have just stumped them. Tell them to go get the channel locks, and you might as well forget about it because they don't know. Why? Because we've, listen, we have become a society where the parents think it is necessary or the parents think it is important that in order to give my children a good childhood and to give my children a good raising, then here is what we will do. We will not make them work until they get out of college and we'll just finance everything and we'll just fund everything for them and we'll just make sure that life is easy for them. And here is what we have created a generation of lazy children. But it doesn't stop there. 
Again, just my story may be different than your story, but my story would sound something like this. When Susie and I got married, the philosophy from our parents was apparently this, even though they never told us this. Either get a job or go without. Now, friends, that's an amazing concept these days. Either get a job or go without. So here I am as a college student, and there Susie is, married to me, and, and we're saying, okay, now, we kind of like to eat. We kind of like to have cars and fuel in the car, and we like insurance, and we like to go out to eat once a week, and we like to be able to have a little bit of fun and buy a little bit of stuff. So what do we need to do? We need to work. This crazy, crazy concept. So I remember when the car broke down, the very first time our car broke down, what did I do? Well, naturally, as a kid, I called home. <laughs> Dad, Mom, head gasket blew, and it's going to cost $450. And, and you know, I, I kind of worked it a little bit to see what was there. You know what was there? Well, son, it'll be all right. It'll be fine. Just take care of it. And we had to pay for our own car repairs. Nathan's born and we had a deductible. You know what my parents made us do? We had to pay the deductible. <laughs> what is up with this, Jim and Barbara? Don't you know how this works? I'm the college student, and she's the working wife, and I'm the one working full-time. And up until Nathan was born, I was working two jobs, and Susie was working one, so three incomes between the two of us. And don't you understand, Jim and Barbara, this is where you kick in and pay for it. And they said, no. Welcome to life. And you know what we had to do? We had to work. For what? For money, so that we could survive and so that we could live. Now, have my parents over the years been a blessing to us? Have Susie's parents been a blessing to us over the years? Yes. But I can promise you it never came to us while we were sitting back with our feet kicked up expecting them to kick in and do it for us. Now, again, I know that I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I know that tonight every one of us would say, yes, we're all for work, and yes, we're all for labor, and we understand the importance of it. But just keep in mind that more and more homes, even those who identify themselves as Christian homes, do not feel the need to make their youngins work or suffer. Well, if they're in a bind, we're going to help them out. Well, if they're in a bind, we're going to take care of that. Well, if they're in a bind, we're going to step in and we're going to pay for that for them. If they're in a bind, we'll see to it that they're not in a bind any longer because heaven forbid they have to work to get themselves out of a bind. Heaven forbid they have to change their lifestyle to be able to finance the way they want to live. Over the years, I've heard people say something like this. Well, you know, I've heard it said that if you can 
quit financially supporting your kids by the time they're 25, you're doing pretty good. And I was thinking, wow, I was cut off way before that. And we survived. Why? Because if you found yourself in a pinch, you would go out and you would work extra hours. You didn't sit back and wait for the check to get in the mail. You didn't sit back and wait for mommy and daddy to bail you out. No, if you were in a bind, you, you did one of two things. You either got up and worked or you just continued to live in the bind. I mean, is, is that not how y'all were raised? All right, but yet we're looking at a society and we're looking at a culture today where even those in their mid-20s don't know how to work. And if they do work, many times it's just a little menial job and menial task and, and it's not even anything real significant and they think they're killing a bear because they showed up. And when do I get a promotion for that? But then it occurred to me, thousands of years ago, Solomon was addressing laziness. Now, now follow this, please. Solomon was addressing laziness. So let me ask you, do you think laziness in a culture or in a society just kind of comes in spurts and waves? No. Laziness has always, always, always been present. Now, I know this is going to sound harsh, and I know that this is going to sound offensive to some, and please know that this is not what I intend. It's not what I desire to be harsh or offensive. But here is what I have discovered, that sometimes you will run into older people who are lazy. Sounds kind of judgmental, doesn't it? Sounds somewhat critical to say that older person is lazy. Now listen, I'm not talking about the one who worked hard for 40 or 50 years and was finally able to retire and live off of that retirement. That's not at all what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is the one who is lazy right now and goes without. And much of the reason as to why they go without is because they never worked to try to get to a point where they could retire with some measure of comfort. And they'd still like to sit around and gripe and complain today that they don't have what maybe other families do have. Why are they lazy now? Because they were lazy then. Why don't they get up and accomplish something and do something productive today? Because they didn't really accomplish anything or do anything productive when they had the health and the strength and the time and the energy to do so. And so there is a sense of laziness even amongst older generations where they want to live like everyone else. They just never wanted to work like anyone else. I know 
And I want this so very clear. I know that everyone is different. I understand that everyone has a different story. So please don't think that I'm lumping everyone into the same category. Don't assume tonight that I'm thinking if it's not like this, then you're not right with God. But I have a hard time sometimes listening to people whine about going without when I know more effort and energy could be exerted for them to have more. Somebody says, well, you just don't understand my story. You just don't understand my situation. I may not, but I have seen some older people who had a work ethic, and as a result, today they still have a work ethic. Every time I look at my grandma, my mima. I sit in amazement at her. Why? Because for over 30 years she was a stay-at-home mom. For over 30 years she was a supporter to my granddad who worked. But when my granddad dropped dead suddenly of a heart attack, you know what she didn't do? She didn't sit there and say, well, I guess I'll just live off the savings. I, I haven't really worked outside the home for the last 30 or 40 years. I guess I'll just try to live off of the Social Security that, that will come his way now. And I guess I'll just sit back and expect my kids to take care of all the shortfalls that I have financially. No, you know what she did less than two months after my granddad passed away at the age of 67 she got up and she went to work and today at age 89 she still gets up every morning between 5 30 and 6 she gets dressed and she goes to work and she works 30 hours a week why two reasons she said, baby, if I didn't work, I'd just sit around and get old. And then she still likes to spend money too much. She just does. I've got a cousin that doesn't know when to keep her at home sometimes. And so my cousin will come by and say, hey, you want to go shopping? You bet I want to go shopping. She will not miss a shopping trip to save her life right now. So at age 89, she's going to the mall. She's going to the store. She's going to different retailers, and she's buying junk. But she can do it. Why? Because she goes to work every week and gets a paycheck because she understands the value of work. And so you hear these people sometimes, oh, I'm just I'm so tight, you know, and it's just so, it's just so tough, it's just so miserable. And there's this part in me that's saying, be kind, be merciful, be compassionate. But on the other side of me, there's this voice screaming, get a job. Do something productive and borderline profitable. If you just work a little bit it would make a significant difference in the finances. In a perfect world, Adam understood, I get up and I dress and I keep the Garden of Eden. I don't sleep in my hammock or whatever he slept in until the crack of noon and then roll out and tidy things up a little bit and then stroll through the garden and try to look busy. No, I get up and I do what needs to be done, whatever would have needed to be done in a perfect world.
But you get up and you accomplish something. You get up and you do something. But we live in a world where laziness is more and more and more the accepted norm. And please understand this as well tonight. I'm not saying for a moment that if you don't bring in a regular paycheck that you are then lazy. If that were the case, then I'd say somewhat of Susie, well, goodness, she must be lazy. But I'd be the first one to say, I don't want to trade spots with Susie for anything. And most of you men wouldn't want to trade spots with your stay-at-home wife for a week because you'd say, you can't pay me enough to stay home and put up with what I put up with. So don't think that if you leave here and I don't even have a pay or I don't even have a salary and I don't even contribute financially to the family, so therefore I must be lazy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. If you don't get up each day and you're not productive and you're not accomplishing something of significance and of some worth, you might want to ask yourself, what am I doing? Because work is not a dirty word. Work is not something that we have to be afraid of. It's not something that we have to shy away from or try to avoid or to try to get out of. Work is a part of life. It just is. And we still need to be reminded of these truths, like in 2 Thessalonians where Paul said, if a person does not work... They should not eat. If a person doesn't work, if a person doesn't get up and do something and accomplish something profitable, really they don't even deserve to eat that day. I wonder how many people in America today would go hungry if their meals consisted of what they worked for that day. I wonder how many people would realize that if the check wasn't coming in every month, I wonder how many would realize, I guess I'm going to have to get up and work. But we don't have to in today's society. So what's happening? We're becoming less and less productive as a country and as a nation. We need to be reminded that if a person doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. We ought to be reminded as believers of what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy, where he said, you know, if you don't provide for your families, then you're worse than an infidel. You're worse than an unbeliever. Well, that's not a category that I want to be lumped into. So what do I want to do? I want to go out and I want to do everything that I can to provide for my family because I don't want to be one of those lazy, sluggard, slothful people that really just accomplishes nothing but rolling over in bed and letting things fall apart around me and things grow up around me like so many people do. Now somebody says, I don't quite see how this is a Bible doctrine that's under attack. Not only is this a Bible doctrine that is under attack in society, this is also a Bible doctrine that is pretty much avoided in most churches these days. 
Because if you start preaching with any measure of conviction that lazy people ought to quit being lazy and that lazy people ought to get up and start working and doing something productive and, a, and profitable, there's a good chance you'll offend a good number of folk in many churches today because what they really want to do is just coast through life and not do much. And that's evident in their own church life. They'd rather just coast in church and not do much. They'd rather coast in their spiritual life and not do much. So what would make me think that in the realm of the rest of the world that you're really this motivated go-getter accomplishing stuff? See, it's a doctrine that is under attack in society, and it's a doctrine that is really avoided in many churches today. But somebody says, what's this got to do with big problems that are the result of small problems. Okay, think about where America is at today by way of the problem of finding people who will work or know how to work. It's kind of a problem, is it not? Well, if we think it's a big problem now, wait till the textures enter into the work world. Wait until the kids who only know how to Google things on their smartphone enter into the workforce. Wait until there are so few people that actually know how to work because it's only getting worse. It is not getting better. Just think what it's going to look like then. We're going to have a bigger problem on our hands in the years to come. Why? Because people refuse to see the problem today or they refuse to address it when they do see it. There are so many lazy kids all around us, so many kids who don't even like to sweat, so many kids who, told, who when told to go outside look at you like, what for? Unless they think they've got better Wi-Fi reception out there, they don't want to go outside. And what I'm trying to convey to you and I tonight is this, is we ought to be workers, every one of us, in one manner or another. If we're alive and if we're breathing, if we're still able to function, then we ought to be productive in one manner or another. I'm not saying you have to go to work every day. I'm not saying that you have to punch the clock and work every day. But I am saying this, we ought to be productive men and women, accomplishing things of value and importance. We ought to be teaching our children how to work. They don't get to sit and watch TV while mom is cleaning up the kitchen. They don't get to go to their rooms and play while dad is outside cleaning up the garage. No, you're going to go outside and help. You're going to go in there and you're going to help. You're going to contribute because we're not going to raise lazy children. And for those of you who are grandparents, I understand from watching the desire that you have to spoil your grandkids. And I'm not saying it's wrong if you spoil them from time to time. But you need to teach your grandchildren to work. Teach them to work. Why? Because you don't want to contribute to a lazy generation and a lazy culture that's coming up. Even in a perfect world, we've got to work. So how much more should we work when the world is imperfect? We ought to be men and women who know how to work, who know how to get things done, who know how to accomplish things. And if we're not doing it, we really ought to reevaluate what we're doing with life. Let's do something. And let's stop sitting around waiting on somebody else to take care of us or to provide it, whatever it may be, for us. 
Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who are willing to put forth the effort, the energy to accomplish things. Lord, I know that it's becoming more and more of a problem in our society today. It seems like so many times, even in our churches, we're seeing the laziness creep in and it's becoming more and more prevalent. People who just want to sit around and let government take care of them or let somebody else take care of them, they assume that it's someone else's job to do that. Lord, I pray that tonight you'd help us if there are any in here that struggle with laziness. I pray that you'd help us tonight to be those men and women who would admit the fault, admit the sin, and say, okay, I'm going to get busy. I'm going to work. I'm going to accomplish something. And Lord, for those who are the workers, for those who are the ones who get up and accomplish things, I pray that you'd help uh, each one to contribute to the next generation, to show the next generation the significance and the importance of being a hard worker and one who applies themselves to a task. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays, if you'd like to pray, please do.